Hello again, everybody. How's it going? What's up? Cool. So, um, you know, October is almost over. Halloween is tomorrow. So yep. we thought we'd fit in one more horror film for you guys. And so we're going with another kind of classic film, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, so it's become a classic. Yeah, modern yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because this came out, what, 2006? So mm -hmm. it's getting up there in age, but it's, you know, this is definitely relatively, I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Never. This movie is yeah. perfect. It is flawless. Yeah. This movie is amazing. Um, yeah. This is this is definitely, like, um, Guillermo's a guy, like, his early career is kind of interesting. Like, he, he did a lot of stuff uh, and sort of in and out of Hollywood. Uh, he had some bad experiences with, like, I think it was uh, the Weinstein brothers. They recut one of his films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that yeah. pissed him off. Uh, this film, he had a lot of difficulties getting made, a lot of difficulties. Uh, but it is, it is like, I feel almost perfectly encapsulates his themes and his yeah. style as a filmmaker. Absolutely. It is, it is definitely uh, one of his signature pieces. I feel like he's got three slash four of those. Uh, he's got the three Spanish speaking films that he got made Kronos uh, devil's backbone and this movie, and then possibly shape of water fits. Like it has a lot of the same kind of uh, artistic themes and, and things like that. But this is definitely like Guillermo's signature piece. We talked a little bit about like um, at the end of last week's, uh, review about how like some directors working within the studio system or will do like a one for you one for me kind of a thing Guillermo was caught up like he did one for Miramax for the Weinsteins I didn't work out then you know he did uh, Blade you know so he's working yep. within the studio and then he got to make Devil's Backbone then he got to make Hellboy one for the studios and one for him but he got to kind of finesse that deal and then finally this is the one where he, he got to make his this is just like a purely out of his imagination which i love which is really just based on a guy who reads a lot of books he just reads a lot of fucking books <laughs> and fairy tales and whatever yeah i was watching because uh, you you kept talking about uh, the some of the special features for blade 2 mm. um i watched some of part of one of them it was like his director's notebook mm -hmm. and just like he has books and books and books of his own drawings that he creates for ideas for characters and they're all um, in that film. He talked a lot about how he was really interested in anatomy of creatures, of mm -hmm. fantasy creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, and he like had drawn a book on in, in Blade Two. There's these like hybrid vampire something else creatures. Uh, yes, yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Daywalker. Yeah, they're these weird Daywalker yeah. people. They they become sort of this this the antagonist because mm -hmm. they feed on vampires and he had all these drawings of like what the stink, what the mouth looked like, what the stinger yeah. in the mouth looked like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he's all written in Spanish, like describing. So it's, it's very like, interesting. And with like the, the mechanics of it, like the, the physical yes. mechanics of like how this thing works and like why he's got a, like a tongue that shoots out of his mouth or whatever, like really, really in depth. And he yeah. did the same thing. Well, he does this for all of his movies. So mm -hmm. consider a guy that directs, big budget movies like Blade 2, which for a lot of people are just dumb, throwaway popcorn stuff, especially in that era. Consider the amount of detail that he workshops into these things. And yeah. then he gets to this point where he gets to unleash all of that into like an original story that he wrote. Uh, really, really cool stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, this is another film, like, uh, just talking about, like, how, how crazy it is for these films even to get made. Uh, this yeah. film, he said that the budget fell through on this multiple times, at least twice. And he was struggling to get it made, and they were thinking about cutting the budget, and he was thinking about mm-hmm. how can he cut certain shots and certain other things in the film so that he can actually get it made. Oh, and yeah. basically, it didn't totally get made until Alfonso Cuaron kind of came in with him and said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll basically fund like half the film, half mm-hmm. of the, whatever the budget, the development budget so we can get this made. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having to do a co-production with Spain, mm-hmm. which was not exactly what he wanted to do. Um, he probably, he wanted to do it in Mexico. Mexico right? yeah. yeah. In Mexico, you use Mexican talent and Mexican yeah, you know everything. Behind, yeah, everything. Uh, but but doing it in Spain was another way that allowed him to you know get more funding or whatever. Um, well, I think his yeah. ca- he was he was set on his cast, was he not, or did he want to cast Mexican actors or Spanish actors? I feel like the he, the kind of had to cast Spanish actors. Well, you have to when you do a co-production. But like if if you like do if he did it in Mexico, he could have hired Mexican actors or mm, whoever. I guess he had an idea for. Before he, then, he, he, he like for this movie, he's got a lot of like in Spain, like a, a couple big name actors that are that were big over there in the, at the time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I mean, the acting is pretty good. I mean, one other interesting thing from the uh, the commentary track was he basically said that he cast a lot of people against type. So mm, like the mm-hmm. the guy who plays the villain is sort of against type. The guy he does that plays, a lot. Yeah. The who plays the doctor is usually a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know. And, but, and, you know, none of I don't think any American would think like, oh, this person's wrong for the role. They all. Oh, my God. Fit no, they great they fit. Yeah. So, so, so great. Yeah. But he does that. Actually, that's reminding me of uh, he did that with the other two movies, Kronos and Devil's Backbone of of the Mexican, Argentinian, Spanish, whatever, you know, uh, Spanish speaking actors that he cast. He would do that a lot. He would he would pick someone who was like big in theater or big in this and then he would have them play like a crazy like a drunkard or something you know yeah 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 cool stuff mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah so that's like the background of this film uh and this this film was definitely like when it came out it, it got a lot of hype i mean it got talked about a lot which is great yeah yeah I'm glad because so often you hear about movies that come out that are underappreciated like a blade runner or something and then later people are still talking about it this one hit right off the bat and it's still hitting and it makes me happy because it's good <laughs> yeah yeah I, it would be quite a shame if like something like this kind of got put to the wayside because it's a it's in spanish or it was made uh, in yeah. another country mm-hmm. um but yeah this film i don't know what the if it got any oscar consideration i didn't check it that won three oscars and was nominated for six yeah what it went like 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 uh makeup uh, cinematography makeup and art direction and it was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Music, so Score, and uh, Foreign Language Film of the Year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's no, it really is, good. It is, it is really, really, good. really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that, so, again, like, yeah, this film, like, blew up right away, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. And, for, and you're right, though, for, like, a Spanish-speaking or, like, a foreign language. Because in America, if it's not English it's foreign language uh and and what i mean by that is that it gets this label put on it that it's just like something else that it's like not necessarily worth considering yeah. along the side <laughs> of uh the whatever hollywood puts out that year um and this is a recent conversation that was had like last year with parasite where finally another best foreign language film 
made it through to like the yeah, regular Oscars. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that this this got this, there's a couple of these that break through, but this one broke out all the way back in two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of I mean, can you think of any others like before this? No, I mean not off the top of my head. I'm sure there's examples, but not not on not like this. Yeah. And yeah, especially like for Guillermo Navarro to come out and win best cinematography, that's hot that is be- yeah. because he is yeah. so good. Uh, having seen all of Guillermo's films, so good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this film, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it was talked about a lot. Again, it's probably like considered his best film. Uh, and it's just right in his wheelhouse of the type of, the type of milieu he likes to, to, mm-hmm. to, to live in. Yeah. Um, if, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So getting into the plot. So like the film, it opens up, it's like Spain in 1944 and it starts to see this girl ophelia she's like bleeding and the blood is going it's like mm. <laughs> it's like inversion or something <laughs> to, yeah yeah it's 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 like reversing into her and then we get this fairy tale thing mm. um it's really interesting too because he talked about the opening of the film was very hard for him to figure out he said he rewrote mm. it many 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 times and he had written different iterations of it <clears throat> but the idea of seeing because he talked about like for him, he said, like, the film is about, uh, it's, 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 he said, this is not the story of a girl dying, but a girl giving birth to herself the way she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So for him, this whole story, <laughs> it's about choices and stuff like that. And like people at a crossroads. That's, yeah. Well, that's like an optimistic uh, fairy tale way to describe that, right? <laughs> a girl giving birth to herself as she would like to be. Uh, considering where this is set, 1944 Spain, the fascist regime, the Franco fascist regime has taken hold. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nowhere else but to uh, escape into like a fantasy world for some, for like a child in this world, right? Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, for anyone really. Um, That's true. This, That's this, true. This, this whole, you know, it doesn't get, he doesn't get too much into the context of what happens historically. Because mm-hmm. this is sort of like a upbeat moment, yeah. But the the Spain had basically got, kind of got abandoned, mm-hmm. uh, and they lived under the the Franco regime until I don't know when, like the sixties or something like, like that, sixties or seventies, like yeah, really, really a long time. Yeah, until people basically overthrew them. Um, and funny, you know, my my girlfriend, she's Portuguese, and Portugal had the exact same thing mm-hmm. happen. Uh, they had it was a different person but basically they had a fascist regime that was there mm-hmm. until the 60s or 70s when there was an open revolt uh mm-hmm. that overthrew it and yeah i mean again like you know these it's this full film it's about people at a crossroads and trying to you know escape these kind of like ha- trying to find a way where you can recreate yourself in some in a, in a different image but they're they're all sort of trapped in this world right where yeah. there's this brutality and this these these, these horrors you know mm-hmm. of, of the real world and um, uh, it is interesting to note uh, the the parallels of between this one and the Devil's Backbone because the Devil's Backbone takes place, I believe, in the, uh, this is all from memory, but I believe in the '30s. So yeah. it's still taking place in Spain in the '30s, and there's also you know a fascist regime building up. And the the only difference yeah. is that that film uh, centers like focuses on the story of like basically one boy, but it's like a group of boys. It's like two or three mm-hmm. boys. Three or four, actually, but it's like really like a it's like the from the boys' perspective, and that's the 1930s, and this is more of from like a girl's perspective in the 1940s. But it's all set in the same, like you said, the same milieu. Mm-hmm. It's the same. The backdrop is oppressive World War II 
slash fascist regime stuff and then how do the kids the kids discover or wander upon this like fantastical thing that's happening yeah yeah in the in the commentary he described devil's backbone like the 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 backdrop was a proto-fascist type of uh government yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. like they he said like they don't have the intellectual way of articulating what they're trying to build but that's what it is and Mm -hmm. in this film the 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 antagonist this Vidal character, he's a fully articulated sort of intellectual fascistic type of person Mm -hmm. who's very meticulous and he's like super obsessed with small um, details. And he actually described him as someone who's very detail oriented, but he sort of loses sight of the bigger picture of the world, which is kind of his downfall. Well, he's obsessed with clocks in this, right? Yeah, well, it, it's he's like fixing clocks there, or whatever. There's also like these other scenes where he's like talking about like how the the movements of the uh, the rebels on a map and how he sees all of these. He doesn't he doesn't really he doesn't really take them seriously because he doesn't understand them. He just mm. sees them as small. He doesn't see that it's like there's an actual resistance. He doesn't get that, and so mm. he just sees them as a small like pieces moving around on a chessboard that he can defeat through right. tactics. Right. Um, yeah, the watch sort of represents his, his past that he sort of wants to that he has to live up to, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know the watch was like this watch was broken, and his That's dad right. supposedly broke it at a at the precise moment that he died. That's what it was. Yeah, because I remember uh, going through this film. Uh, like I've said it before, we started recording. I've seen this film many, 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 many times. <laughs> but one of the times, uh, I remember getting really into the symbolism of the the clocks and the gears and like everything about Vidal and like his character and like a lot of that stuff. I don't remember. That was more during my like super like a uh, film scholarly type days. But uh, I remember being really into that, and I thought it was really cool how there's there's always some kind of motif playing in the background for these characters. Everybody has like a thing. Uh, all of his there characters is. usually do. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is, and there's like a lot of the architecture sort of informs what's yeah. going on. And he's been doing that shit since the very first movie, since Kronos. It's it's a movie about vamp. It's technically about a vampire, and so every single set, every single location in that movie has got some kind of gothic architecture, it's got some kind of gargoyles, some kind of fucking blood in the stone, and like all these crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> so like he's really really detailed about that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool stuff. Um, yeah, and so like so yeah, there's the opening. We see her dying, but going in reverse, and then uh, we get told this sort of fairy tale story about this uh, the princess from the underground realm who decided to leave because she was dreaming of the human world, and she escapes, and then she forgets who she was because she sees the light, and it's sort of juxtaposing that maybe this person's Ophelia, right, the the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the normal story opens up and it's Ophelia and her mother arriving in Spain and her mother's like sick. Um, sick and, and she's pregnant. Yeah. Sick and pregnant with a, uh, a child, uh, a son. Uh, and yeah, they arrive and then Ophelia, she's like, she's very curious and she like, uh, well, they arrive fight. at, uh, at, at this guy. So Vidal is going to be the step dad basically yes of, of ophelia ophelia and, yeah uh, i don't know if they i don't remember if they say if they've met before or anything but i think it's the first time meeting him right he's yeah he feels very cold to her he's very cold the jump he's just excited um, that he's got a woman pregnant with a boy that's yes. going to take over you know generationally take yes. over his yeah Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. his dad was like you mentioned, his dad was like this legendary general. They died in battle. That was like known for that, and he's respected for that. And so he wants to 
kind of build up the next generation and kind of carry yeah. that legacy forward. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, pass on the legacy. Yeah, and uh, it's, and so when Ophelia arrives, like she like. I don't know she fits in this like puzzle piece or something that's on this uh, mm -hmm. sculpture, mm -hmm. and then she sees the fairy for the first time. But the fairy is sort of takes the shape of like a I don't know like a some kind of a bug. It's like a it's right? like a giant praying mantis almost. Yeah, it does look like a praying mantis. Yeah, yeah. like a really yeah like a giant praying mantis. It doesn't have like the 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 the, the, the yeah the the little stabby the, yeah. <laughs> the stabby. <arms. laughs> I forget what they what you call that, <laughs> but it does look like a giant praying mantis, but. But this mm -hmm. is the, the fairy of the story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she meets Vidal, and their first interaction is very awkward. She like hands her left hand to him, and he like crushes her hand. He's like, "That's the wrong hand. <laughs> yeah. It's the other hand." Um, yeah. And so it's like, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. And then and then the fairy she sees so Ophelia sees the fairy again at this like campsite, and then it takes her. She follows it to the labyrinth and then you know that's another thing that's going to come up later <laughs> the labyrinth of the fawn <laughs> yeah <laughs> hmm, it's almost like that's what this movie is about um, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and then she also meets uh, mercedes there who's yeah like mercedes this... is kind of like this is just a dumb old labyrinth don't worry about it kind of a thing yeah 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 the adults they have no idea Right. They don't care. Yeah, it's just it's rocks. It's architecture that was there. You know, they've the adults are worrying about there's there's a rebel offensive mounting in the in the forest. They're worried about other things. They're worried about Vidal, you know, not killing them or having them be killed. And Ophelia's over here just like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, I remember being 12 years old. Like, I would like to play around in a place like that. Yeah, you know? it's cool stuff. And again, like there's the other thing, too, is like the, there's these two stories. There's the A story, which is the <clears throat> Ophelia fantasy dark fantasy stuff mm -hmm. and the b story is this rebellion against the fascists and um you know this guy vidal and basically the fact that there's all these rebels around him that he doesn't know mm -hmm. and how he's reacting to that and mm -hmm. then the the two stories slowly kind of meet together mm -hmm. um and so yeah then at night there's this this scene this really brutal scene where like the the soldiers they find these these people who are out in the woods oh, and yeah. they say oh well they say they were hunting for rabbits but we think they're lying and he comes out uh vidal comes out and he like he's like take off your hat how dare you wear your hat in front of me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the guy takes off his hat and they're basically begging and he like hands him i don't know it was like a bottle of beer or some shit like that or whatever he just uh, beats him in the head with the beer bottle yeah. and then shoots him in the head and he shoots the old man in the head too it's it is brutal, man. They're yeah. they're they're yeah. They're like a couple farmers that uh, he thought were like harboring refugees or something, and yeah. it turns out that they were not. But whatever, that's just like really that's like plotty stuff. But the way that he like bashes the guy's skull, it's like the first act of violence in the film, I think. Uh, but the way that like it's really brutal and it's not like uh, glossed up in any way. He just he just like beats this guy's face in until he's dead. Um, I thought I thought it was just like a really well done scene. It's violent. <clears throat> it's violent. And, he, and he, again, in the commentary track, he talks about, like, a lot of these things were um, first-hand accounts that he read of different time periods. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, that was when he read, well, he said there was a story of a guy who, he was in a shopping center or something, and he was getting groceries, and the guy was wearing a hat or whatever, and then some fascist guy came up to him and was like, why are you wearing a hat? Or do oh. you do that? That's disrespectful. And the guy bashed him in the head with some of the with, with something with the butt of his gun. The butt of his gun. Yeah. And then took his uh took his groceries and just left. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, this is, you know, sort of an adapted version of things that have happened mm-hmm. at different points in, you know, in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, this is a very brutal scene and it shows you this dude is like, and he's very, and so then we see like he, he, they look through the guy's bag and they do find some dead rabbits and he's like, well, you should probably search them better next time. So I don't have to do this, but yeah. he has no remorse for killing them. Mm-hmm. He's more like you wasted my time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is great, which is great because it's so easy for a character like Vidal who is just so cut and dry evil. Uh, it's like how many movies have you seen where like the first you like it opens up and one of the first scenes with the bad guys is the bad guy is just kills innocent people for no reason or whatever. Uh, that's just like a classic thing. But the way that it's done and the way that they emphasize it, like he cares more about his time not being wasted than, you know, actually doing this in the first place. It, it just builds more uh, on his character. And I'm glad that they built his character, that he's not just like a villain, that he's got all the proper motivations and everything. I mean, he is a little bit of a caricature, but he's not just a caricature, which is, yeah. which is cool. That's something Guillermo talked about. Another thing in the commentary track was like, he, he, he felt like there was a, there's a tension between like, because he sees the Vidal character sort of later on transforming into like sort of a, the way he described it was like the big bad wolf kind mm-hmm, of character. Mm-hmm. He's this relentless guy who's trying to achieve this thing for, for whatever his reasons are. Mm-hmm. And the reason is basically he feels like he has to live up to these things that his dad did. Uh, but he felt like in a, in a, in a, in a fairy tale kind of story though, that you need to have characters that are sort of a caricature because yeah. it sort of serves this purpose of, having it be a fairy tale right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if you get bogged down in sort of some of these other other things outside of just saying okay this person is evil because of this you kind of get away from the fairy tale aspect that he wanted to to highlight exactly exactly yeah 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 Yeah, and so that's a lot of why again he is a bit of a caricature but it's serving the the thematic elements of the film pretty much Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah, so then later on, uh, Ophelia, she meets with, like, the fairy again, and uh, the fairy sort of leads her to the center of the labyrinth where she meets the fawn for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fawn is, like, one of the coolest, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Like, one of the coolest, like, practical so effects cool. things that you've ever, that, that that's ever been done. It's just so cool. <laughs> it's just yeah. so cool. Like, the whole get up and, like, the fact that Jug Jones is, like, doing, like, the way he... The way he like does that form of acting, it's amazing. It's the way, yeah, the way he like uh, con- like contorts himself, and he 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 moves like he's creaky and he's old, you know. Um, but like, but he's like an object instead of a, a person or something. It's 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 kind of it's really cool, and it's funny <laughs> that he. I think I remember uh, going through the materials like he was trying to find a Spanish or like a Mexican actor to to play that role, and ultimately he just. He, went back to Doug Jones who had been doing this kind of stuff for him before (laughs) (laughs) he did, he did this for, for him in Hellboy. So he's just like, Mm -hmm. he's, I believe he was the only uh, like American in on the entire production Mm -hmm. was Doug Jones. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I mean, all these roles, every single one of them, he's always great. Um, And he plays another character in this. Um, But yeah, it's good that you bring up the, uh, the fact that he, he acts really old in this. Cause like Mm -hmm. the, what's interesting is you'll see thing. Yeah. Yeah. The fawn kind of, reverses chronology like Mm -hmm. he he starts old and then gets younger Mm -hmm. uh, when we see him later in the film Mm -hmm. uh which is interesting um the other thing too was like so apparently like the way that they built the suit was like um 
the the person who's puppeting this thing could control the legs too mm. so he's puppeting his own legs while also <laughs> yeah. doing all the hand movements yeah <laughs> so it's yeah. Re- <laughs> it's a really interesting intricate whole puppet as it were um yeah. and um they did something to his mouth right <laughs> um like the the mouth is animated uh i believe like it, they've got pieces in the costume like he's he's he opens his mouth and he speaks and stuff but like it's like accentuated in a way by the costume uh without cgi or anything and it looks really cool yeah uh, usually they have different inflection points where it's like someone controls this or someone controls exactly, the eyes yeah. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and um it just you know someone's doing the stuff with the hands yeah it's mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so like you can have more articulation in the in the puppetry yeah, there is a there's there's a cup there's a bunch of B roll of Doug Jones learning and saying his lines in Spanish uh, in these scenes because he was he was acting opposite the actors in in the scenes where he mm-hmm. was the fawn and it's funny because he's got such a heavy heavy American accent he's never spoke a, a day of Spanish in his life before he did this movie <laughs> yeah um, but he did he absolutely like. He sells it like the costume sells it. All of it together is just uh, he really they, they really did a good job. Of course, they overdubbed his voice with another actor, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's so like like this is why these films are so cool, right? Like yeah. there uh, there another version of this. Like if it was done by someone else, it would just be a CGI thing, one hundred percent, and it would be two thousand CGI, and it would look weird and horrible. It would look weird. Yeah, it would look yeah. weird. It wouldn't have the same feel. Yeah. And it would just lose that magic. But this, you know, like when you first see him, because like at first he's like kind of there and he's almost like a tree. He's like he's well, he's part of the yeah, he's he's part of the labyrinth. He's he's literally decayed. <clears throat> he's like formed into the labyrinth at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then he like creeps out. He's like, oh, hello. Yeah. Like he's so excited. <laughs> like, ah, a human child. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Human <laughs> child. Nice. Exactly, nice. Yeah. Oh, Take- well, let me, let me show you this book and do th- have, have you do things and then mm-hmm. send you off on your way. You're any, he, I think he, yeah, he calls her the princess. He calls yeah. her princess Moana in this. And she's like, what? I'm not the princess. I'm like, no, you are. Mm-hmm. You're the daughter of the King and you have to do these three things. And then you'll be brought back mm-hmm. uh, to the underworld where you're the princess. Uh, right. But you, but you have to pass all through these tests, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gives her this book. It's like the book of Crossroads, mm-hmm. uh, which is blank. Um, and so she's kind of yeah. confused. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, later on when she like is actually doing the tasks, it'll stuff it, will it, appear. It, fill, it fills itself in. Yeah. Magically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically now this is her journey is to do these three tasks so that she can go back to the underworld. Yeah. Cause um, I mean, fuck the real world. So yeah. Yeah. Fuck the real world. <laughs> For real. Yeah. yeah. I mean that. Yeah. I would definitely. I would take that over her. Her, her future would probably not be great. Not great at Even all. Even if she yeah. lived, right? No. <laughs> um, okay. So so then later on, so she's like starts to do her first task, and there's there's all this other stuff like you know her mom is like getting her ready for this. I don't know. There's a dinner or some kind of crap like that, like mm-hmm. where they're gonna meet with you know. Vidal, and they give her this dress and these shoes and all this. Yeah, there's like a whole dinner scene with all those people, right? I think Mm -hmm. that was actually earlier, but yeah, yeah. And so then um, she's got this dress and she's she's gonna do this thing, but then you know she's like, oh, I have to, I have to, I have to take these three stones to this toad and tree. Oh yeah. (laughs) So she goes up, runs off to do that, um, and she gets 
to this place where it's like really soggy and muddy. Uh, and so she takes off her dress and she's going into this tree. She goes like right? into the tree. Yeah. Into the tree to feed this toad. So she does, she goes into the tree and it, it's gross. This is pretty gross. right? It's like, there's all these bugs and it's like hella muddy. And I love this. I love this stuff. Yeah. This yeah. is like the first time I saw this movie, I think I was in high school. Like this was my favorite scene in the whole movie because the grosser it is equals to my, you know, ape brain is the cooler it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super gross. And then, yeah, she meets this toad thing and it's like, burps in her face it's just yeah it's super gross it's very it's very funny it's very cool <laughs> yeah yeah uh but then she like feeds the, the like like the the things the stone she had turn into bugs mm-hmm. and then she feeds the bugs to the toad mm-hmm. and the toad like dies or something or like the, the, the toad like it like vomits itself inside out uh, so it literally like births itself through its own mouth in this like gelatinous blob and then of like whatever it is, and then that inside that like homunculus is the key. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that so that she could get a key out of this toad's stomach, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she she gets the key. Now she's got she's done the first task. Now she like has this key, and basically she succeeded in the first thing, and has to go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she gets home, and then like like there's again that now it's like the things are kind of bleeding into each other. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth between uh, the, the, she's got her missions in the fantasy world. And then there's the, all the stuff happening in yeah. the real world. Yeah. And then in the real world, there's like all this stuff with Mercedes and, uh, the, um, the doctor. So the doctor and the, their, and Mercedes are working with the rebels. They're colluding. They're colluding with the rebels. And so the, the doctor is like giving antibiotics that are going to the rebels so that they can, you know, which were which were um, rationed, I believe. The antibiotics were like rare, you know. So there had to be like a set number of them or whatever. So he kind of has yeah. to like do this really walk this fine line of like you know sneaking some back and forth uh, between the two camps mm-hmm. because he's trying to maintain his cover as the because he's the do- he's um, also the doctor that's treating uh, Vidal's uh, Ophelia's mother basically. Yes. Um, through the through, through the birth, so he's got to he's got to play both sides. Yeah, so he's playing both sides, uh, and as is uh, Ophelia too. Like, there's you know, again, there's all these scenes at the beginning where they kind of it's it's clued in without having to say any dialogue. Like, like she comes in and she's like brought some food for them, and and Vidal is going over the map of all the movements of the rebels. Uh, Mercedes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so she's like looking at the map and shit, like really mm-hmm. kind of peering in and listening. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we were like, oh, okay, yeah, she's yeah <laughs> trying to furry information. Um, <clears throat> And it's, you know, obviously the game that's been played is like, who knows what, right? Like, we we got this idea that Ophelia is giving information, but does Vidal know? And we're kind of uncertain at first. Mercedes, correct? Not Ophelia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mercedes, my bad. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, no, I'm so, just making yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ophelia doesn't care about any of this. Yeah, she's, not, she's, not involved at all. She's, yeah. she's trying to save her mom, mm-hmm. as we'll see later. And she's trying to... Um, to, to do what the fawn is telling her to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she has no care about what's going on uh, yeah. or who wins or who dies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so then Ophelia is like running at, so like we see Mercedes giving a signal to the rebels in yeah. the trees. And then um, Ophelia shows up and she's like all dirty and she, she had just gotten the key and done her thing. And then, so then she like takes her in and is like, Oh, your daughter, you know, she's, we found her. She was out in the woods. 
all oh, day, right. or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, to to the that that's what Mercedes tells the mom. It's a good cover. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then she, you know, again, we get this more stuff of like Ophelia. She's like taking a bath, and she's like, you know, talking to her mom, and her mom's like sort of, you know, her mom's also kind of like right in the middle, right? Like the mom doesn't want, like the mom. You know, she kind of gets the big picture of like, okay, we're in this world where there's this fascist regime and I'm doing whatever I can to protect you. But she also, um, I don't know, she, she, she wants to let Ophelia kind of be a child, but also kind of doesn't want her to, to, well, to, yeah. to, to be in this fantasy world, that, yeah, the, that, you know? Yeah, the mom, the mom is, is basically is just a, a mom, really. She's she's trying to again find this balance between you know letting her kid be a kid but then also kind of because when she gets too far she's trying to bring her back in and say like no there are consequences this man is insane and but this is kind of the best case for us is to be here to be with him to give him the son or whatever like she doesn't say all these things but that's kind of like the way that she plays it is she's like you need to stop with all your fantasy shit because sometimes there's real things that are happening but you know she's just trying to like ease her into this new life that is going to affect both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you can see later we, we get this stuff where, um, the doll like hates all the fantasy stuff. Like he, um, mm-hmm. hates that she's reading that Ophelia is reading these books that have to do yeah. with the fairy tales and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he hates that stuff. Uh, he's, he's a very, I don't know, pragmatic kind of guy. He's very, very, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so again, that's another tension like that's happening between these two stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then all this happens and then Ophelia, she has the key, right? So then she goes back to the labyrinth and she's just like, you know, the fawn's like, Oh good, good for you. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, like now you have to do the next thing. And he gives her this piece of chalk and it's like, Oh, you have to draw this, 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 uh, this doorway you, so you can go yeah, in. You draw like a thing. trap door and then you'll go into the, uh, what's his name? The pale man. You'll go the into it like a layer and uh what, what her, her goal is to like what extract some she has to or something? she uses the key to to get something and then yeah yeah she has to like use the key to open a door to get something and yeah. then also take some of the food from the the pale man and then escape mm-hmm. um i think that was her task well no um, her task was to not touch any of the food i'm pretty sure yeah well it was something like that like she needed to she needed to bring something from there got it um but she doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get to that point because she she a lot of the time she screws up, but that's not actually the point of all this stuff, as we'll see mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like what she does and how she does it, yeah. like what choices she makes when she's at a certain crossroad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but then she tells the fawn like, "Oh, my mom's sick. Like I have to do something. I don't want to help you. I need to help her." Mm-hmm. And and then she's like, he's like, okay, fine. Then I'll 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 give you a spell. So he gives her this oh, yeah. mandrake root mm-hmm. that's shaped like a human, and she says, okay, well, that's put a it. mandrake root. That's just they're, yeah. they're 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 shaped like fetuses. It's like what well, it's like a fantasy mythology thing. Yeah, yeah. He gives her the root, and he says, okay, put it in milk under her bed, and then feed it blood, and she'll get better every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the con- her mother's condition does improve. And what yeah, is mother- you know? And if you're yeah. a child and you're doing this shit, and you have a fawn that speaks to you, and you have this crazy like vegetable looking thing under the bed, and your mom somehow all of a sudden magically improves, you're going to keep doing that thing. You're going to believe that the magic is real. Yes, <laughs> yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, he 
she she does it and yeah she gets better which is good and so then she decides okay now i'm gonna do the next thing which is open the doorway to the pale man's uh i guess Lair. dining room or whatever yeah um, it's it's an interesting i mean we again talking about like everything is handcrafted and well designed up to this point but like this is another one of those standout scenes this is the scene that they put everywhere you know in the that you see on like every streaming site, all the promotional stuff is is in the layer here. I remember when this movie came out, there was a newspaper. You remember newspapers? Uh, in the <laughs> newspaper, uh, they had a section where they remo- they reviewed movies every week or like new releases, and I used to read those. Um, and I remember seeing that this movie had come out. I didn't know anything about it, but the image because they would have like one black and white image per per movie that they were reviewing was the pale man you know with the with the hands and that's just like one of those images that is just kind of like become it's like this one in the fawn that is just like recognizable with this movie it's super iconic and the, this yeah. scene is like this scene is like so well done yeah all of it insane yeah all of it is just so so cool um just yeah. like the ideas and like what it sort of represents and what it articulates without having to like really without saying anything yeah. saying anything um yeah he's got basically it's like there's there's uh there's paintings all over the ceiling right of like him like impaling and eating all these children eating there's, children yeah there's uh there's like uh, little tiny child-sized boots just like a pile of them in the corner like there's just so much stuff when when ophelia is looking at this room that is just kind of like oh shit <laughs> it is extremely ominous yeah. Uh, another really cool thing from the um, commentary track, like he talked about, Guillermo talked about, he saw this film. Uh, one, of, He said one of the best experiences he had uh, showing this film was he saw this film with Stephen King. Oh, and he said, wow. Yeah, he said that when, when this scene came up, like it was really interesting experience, like seeing Stephen King watch this scene because he said it was like so creepy and he was like squirming in his seat. <laughs> I thought funny. that was really cool. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen King, the perpetual child uh, torturer. That's yeah. very funny. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the the lover of dead children is exactly. another, another. Yeah, that's something they bond over is like, oh, how'd you kill the kid in this movie? Exactly, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, extracting um, the child's pain. Mm, I like that. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so this yeah it's really cool and another thing that Guillermo talked about is like again there's all these sort of um there's a mirroring of the two storylines and so like this scene with the pale man mirrors that scene with the the banquet of all the the people uh, yeah all the like political yeah there's like the politicians and there's like a freaking priest or something there yeah 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 it's just all the people in power basically yeah yeah it's all the people in power and this is like the reflection of that type of a scene uh where the pale man represents and uh well the and the main challenge of the scene for her was he has this great great huge feast banquet but you can't eat anything and i don't care how tempted you are if you you don't touch it you just go and you do your job but what does she do (laughs) yeah she eats some grapes or something and the pale man's like what you took my food and then he wakes he up like, basically. Yeah, yeah, he like his eyes are in his hands. It's crazy. Um, well, he, yeah, he like he like stay. Yeah. Well, he got he's got the sockets in his hands, and then once he like kind of animates, he he sticks his eyeballs in his in his yeah in his hands, hands and then he, he can see. Trying. Yeah, and then he starts eating the fairies. Yeah, he starts eating these other fairies. Um, and the funny thing about it too is like he's got he's got all this food on the table, right? And it's all it's an overwhelming amount of food, but he's like he's the pale man he's skinny he's he's literally just dripping skin 
off of bone is how ema emaciated he is. Uh, mm -hmm. And we see him, he can only basically, we assume, eat living things. Uh, and this is something that is also juxtaposed with the monster from uh, The Devil's Backbone, if I remember correctly. There's a monster in that film that is like the opposite of, of the pale man. There's a really interesting parallel there. But yeah, he's he basically can only subsist off of like living things or su the suffering of others, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know it's it's really sort of an allegory for like super greedy people, like mm -hmm. like true avarice. It's like yeah. just an un like I like like just just cannot have enough of feeding on <laughs> other people or other suffering. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he it, never gets he clearly never gets fat, no matter how many child booties he has. You know, <laughs> yeah, he can never eat enough children. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's sick. It's a great scene, and so yeah, so so she. You know, Ophelia breaks the rules, he wakes up, he comes after her, but then the fairies kind of save her, and then he starts eating the fairies. Yeah, which is and, awesome. Just the way he crunches into those fairies. Yeah, like it's like rips a, their head off. Yeah, it's like a piece of celery or something. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. Uh, and then there's also this, there's, there's like a time limit, uh, and then the time runs out, and so she's like kind of struggling, so she has to like create a, another trapdoor on the ceiling. The trap door, yeah. Yeah, and so then she's able to get out right as the pale man's about to mm -hmm. about to kill her. Just classic um, horror suspense stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. It's like one of the, like you said, it's, it's, it's like the scene that gets plastered everywhere, mm -hmm. gets talked about a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of the best scenes in the movie for sure. Yeah, one of the reference scenes for sure. So then we get back to the the B plot, which is more the stuff with uh, there's all these anti fascists are running these these operations. So there's a scene where they derail a train, they like blow up a train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they go take out the train, and then um, and we have to talk for a second about how when they're in the forest with the uh, with the rebels, how gorgeous the cinematography is in in all of these forests. I mean, I remember again when I uh, when I saw this movie the first time, I was only concerned with like this is going to be a fucked up horror movie and it's going to have gore and, and disgusting shit and then we got to the toad and I was like, "Yes, this is it." But then like as it went on and it became more like I got more engrossed in the actual story, uh, I was I was kind of really blown away. It was one of the first films that I really noticed the cinematography. I was just like, everything's got like a really consistent uh, color tone, you know, like uh, Vidal's world where like Ophelia yeah. is, is very muted, you know, and like blue or whatever. And then in the forest, it's like really lively and colorful. And there's uh, all, there's just all kinds of like insects and stuff, like all kinds of life out there is really, really interesting. Um, I just thought it looked gorgeous. And I've, again, I've seen this movie a couple of times. There's one scene later on when um, Vidal is like assaulting the, the rebels that is just blows me away every time I see it cinematography wise. It's like the it's like the one tracking shot, I believe, that follows him where he's like shooting people or like his people are shooting. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but there's like the battle, right? They, the battle, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of around this part of the film. There, they they derail the train. Then he go. Then they mm -hmm. uh, they see I that there's the 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 rebels have come down the hill, and so then they go to um, confront them. And yeah, this is another. And again, that's another scene where it's sort of some some story, some elements for Vidal. Like he's got the watch, and he's like he's basically ready to die. Yeah, he's prepared. If he dies, he wants to die heroically in this fight. And he wants and, to make sure that you know people know exactly the time where he dies. Yeah, like a, and so like a and, mm -hmm. yeah, and so they're they're fighting these these rebels, and he's like you know shooting them, shooting at them up the hill, and then they they go up the hill and they're battling and battling, and then they capture a couple of people. Um, mm 
mm-hmm. most of which are di- are are either dead or dying. Yeah. And there's a scene where he like there's a guy who's dying, and then he just like he, he just, just shoots him in the head like twice. It's just so brutal. The violence in this is so brutal because again, I, I don't remember what movie we were talking about. It's not like over exaggerated or or anything or played in a like a graphic way. It's just kind of like people dying it's just like when he shoots the guy in the face you don't see like you know like his head explodes at the like it explodes at the back of his head with blood or anything no it's just like bullets going into people and it's like really kind of unnerving it's unnerving how like it's just like you can go from a life to being dead like that fast and uh i think this that scene in particular the way that it's shot and and the the kind of swift cold efficiency of Vidal as he's like mowing through these people mm-hmm. is like really chilling. It's, it's very cold, uh, especially because like the guy's kind of like trying to almost plead with him. Like he puts up his hand and he then he just, hand. Yeah. 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 And he keeps pushing his hand away with the, with his gun. With the gun. And then, then he's like, whatever he shoots through the guy's hand into the guy's face. It's, like, <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so good. Oof, it just, it just feels like, ugh, ugh, ugh. yeah, it's just um, dirty. And then they find so they find someone who's still alive enough for them to torture, and it's uh, Mercedes' brother, brother, I believe. Yeah, yes. it's Mercedes' brother. <laughs> it's Mercedes' brother. So they capture the brother, uh, and then they're they're starting to torture the brother. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe he goes to the doctor, right? And he's like, "Doctor, I need to fuck these people up." Like, or, or is that am I remembering that wrong? Because I know the doctor gets involved in the with the tortures at some point, or with they, the tortured. They they spent so they spend the night. Like so, Vidal kind of. Uh, there's another scene that happens later. Vidal finds um, antibiotics. Yeah. And so then he's like, he's on to the doctor. He's on to him, mm-hmm. and that happens mm-hmm. somewhere around this. So like they 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 mess this dude up really bad. The brother. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day, the doctor is basically like, he. he That's he, right. He he euthanizes him. He yeah. euthanizes. He's like, I, I I can't. I I'm just I'm gonna out myself. I can't let this happen. Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and then he ends up dying in this really kind of poetic and beautiful moment. Really, really cool. Yeah, a little, a little over the top, like movie kind of death, where he just like ah, uh, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's poetic yeah. in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's given, he's given because it's raining too. It's raining. It's raining. And, yeah, it's just like really, really. It's like the most movie death. Yeah. Kind of he slowly death walks away. Movie. He gets shot, and he's like. Oh. Yeah, and he it's, keeps it's, walking. Exactly. Like unlike everybody else who just like gets bullet holes in their faces, uh, or get like beat with the bat, the butt of a gun or whatever. He's just like gets his whole. Uh, he gets his like platoon. You know, Willem Dafoe like death, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Willem <laughs> Dafoe kind of like ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, and one, he had this really great line that I thought like kind of hit on the theme of the film, and like. Yeah, the yeah. doctor. Like Vidal is sort of like, why'd you do this? He's like, you know, you, it's something you can't understand. He says, obeying for the sake of obeying is something only you can do, Captain. And he's mm-hmm. just like, I can't just obey and do fascism like you can. I, I can't mm-hmm. do this to people, torture people, kill people, exterminate people, and just not resist. I mm-hmm. have to. That's I'm mm-hmm. not like you. Uh, yeah. And he dies for it. And he's willing yeah. to die for it. So. I remember that line. Yeah, I remember being stuck on that line because it, it, it's like all encapsulated in one line. I remember the line exactly. Yeah, but it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's it's very thematic um, of like what the what the film is about. And yeah, I really like that because um, like he, he again, another thing that, he, that Guillermo talked about is like, you know, he saw this as a as a as a as another piece with Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. Um, but he what it was interesting was like he said he he'd been 
going through the ideas and making the ideas sort of in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And he said that like after 9-11 happened, it made him really rethink a lot of what his ideas were about this. Mm-hmm. And I think, I guess it sort of strengthened some of the darker stuff Yeah, um, that had to do with, with what he felt this film could say thematically. Yeah. Well, for, for the record, I don't believe uh, there's a single piece of media released after 9-11 that wasn't, at least in the immediate five to ten years, that was not affected in some way, in some way subconsciously by, by that event. And I think that's a, that's a very interesting point. I, I don't remember reading about that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Because there's a lot of, because I've been basically, I've been going through a lot of like early 2000s stuff recently, like late 90s, early 2000s. And there's like a very specific point, like anything that comes out, right at like in 2002 or or like 2003 uh specifically it's just like there's just like a shift in the kind of mood yeah of, there's of a, there's a, there's like a less playfulness overall you know yeah. well i i think just to talk about that real quick i think that there was a there was an interesting like late 90s kind of almost premonitions of stuff mm-hmm. like in the 90s you had independence day and then there right. was armageddon and deep yeah. impact and it's like all these, all these, you know, there, there's always a disaster movie, but this was like, but it was just, it was not like that, right? It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a force of nature or like an act of God or something, because there were a lot of those movies being made, yeah, volcano like or, that kind of shit. or whatever the fuck, yeah. This was just like very real and raw for people, <laughs> and obviously, yeah. So, so I, I thought, I thought it was always interesting, just thinking about like how there was all this. This, this stuff out there of like like do we want ourselves to get blown up like what <laughs> i know i know but then and then as soon as that happened you you know those like those disaster movies are a relic of like armageddon or whatever like they're they're very specifically 90s you know um, yeah i think roland emmerich got to make a few more because he just does yeah but, uh, 2012 and all this stuff and all that mm-hmm. shit yeah day after day day after tomorrow day after tomorrow yeah yeah but mm-hmm. like for the most part you know uh, i believe hollywood shifted to the taken kind of revenge thriller thing where we just like really wanted to get revenge on those bad people that did bad things to us you know they they stole our daughters or they did yeah. this or that 24 so, yeah. kind of stuff 24 oh jesus christ 24. yeah 24 yeah. is just yeah. yeah it's it's like it's like porn for it is it is absolutely yeah for that type of that type of genre mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah it, it and again it's like what was the effect and the, the film i really think of was uh it's like 25th hour the spike lee oh, movie yeah 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 yeah. because yeah. i feel like that was the first one that really kind of addressed it mm-hmm. visually mm-hmm. like there's a shot in that film where edward norton's looking down and you see ground zero from some yeah. apartment yeah, uh, and then there's like the, the Terrence Blanchard boom, score booms in. Yeah, and it's like whoa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trauma. It's it's and it's a trauma. It's always sort of depicted as a trauma. Like that whole movie is about a guy who kind of messed up in his life, and he's kind of got to pay. And, and and he's and there's literally like the ending of the movie is like there's a crossroad. Which way do you take? And mm-hmm. he takes <laughs> take, they take the other road, and it's like it's very interesting. Yeah, um, good good pull, good pull on that that that. I, for, I forgot about that shot specifically in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. And then he, he kind of did that again. He was kind of like right on the verge of doing that again with Black Klansman when he, he showed the footage of the uh, Unite the Right rally in 2017 yeah. or whatever. Like he's he's really, he, I guess Spike Lee is just the guy <laughs> who will go there. <laughs> yeah, he'll go there. He will, he will, he'll he'll go throw there the trauma right in your face. Time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> to sort of like try and um, contextualize the moment. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Really, really kind of capture it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like this is it, guys. This is it. Like this right? is the moment in media and in in the world that we're at. Yeah. Yeah. But that's very interesting because uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I believe, like. <laughs> You could put this movie in a vault and you can show it in a thousand years and it would be just as effective. Uh, I mean, granted, you got to know a little bit about the history in World War II and fascism and stuff like that. But like other than that, it's it kind of stands alone. It's, it's like a perfect little piece. But uh, it's I never thought about how like it was colored. Uh, the, the dark shades were just darkened a little bit by that, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and almost like the way he talked about it, it was almost like he he. Uh, it was almost like became his worldview became less optimistic. Mm. Um, yeah, because you know, again, fairy tales are sort of like this one's very dark, but it does sort of have an optimistic way of seeing the world at the end. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you believe that the fairy tale is true, if you believe right? in the fairy tale, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you have but, to believe in it. Yeah, but if you don't, then you could see it in a dark way, right? So it yeah. kind of goes both ways. But even for him, he was, I guess he probably made things even darker, right? Yeah. Well, that explains whatever. why all of the scenes with Vidal are just so fucking oppressively, just de- oppressively depressing. Is that a way to put yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're super brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so then back to the plot. So then, like, we get this scene with, like, uh, I think there's what happens is, like, Vidal finds the Mandrake. Mm-hmm. And then Under he's the like, bed, what, the, yeah. what the hell is this? And he's like yeah. holding the, the fetus yeah. <laughs> shaped plant or whatever. Which to, which to him is just a dumb, is a dumb looking plant, you know, and Ophelia is over there losing her mind. Like, no, stop it. Like, this is the thing that's keeping my mother alive. Like you need, like she believes this, you know? And then uh, what does he do? He tosses it in the fire. Well, she actually, the mom intervenes and is like, oh, mm. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And so then the mom kind of makes the choice of saying, oh, no, this is all fake. You can't yeah. believe in this right. stuff. Yeah. And the mom throws it in the fire, and then mm-hmm. she just dies. She she, yeah. she basically dies. She gives birth to the son, but she yeah. dies. Mm-hmm. And then we get this montage where there's like the, the funeral, and then the after the funeral, all this other stuff. Uh, and then this is great. Yeah, like in that scene when she throws in the fire, there's a great shot of like the, the thing as a fetus just like... Aah! Like, yeah. like moving and die- mm-hmm. so it's it kind like, of just like withers away in the fire it like dies yeah yeah it just withers and dies in the fire and then she dies shortly after it's the mother's life force you got to believe in fairy tales <laughs> yeah and and again it's like she doesn't believe and so she winds up dying unfortunately mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then so something happens with with mercedes and she decides that she's going to try and escape. It's probably has to do with like the, the brother getting killed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she's probably knows she's going to get found out. She like has yeah. this really interesting meeting with Vidal where he's kind of, you know, there's some sexual weird stuff. Like he's kind of well, hitting on her. There's gotta be. Yeah. Right. You, you and, don't get to be the, the, the big man unless you try to take advantage of, of other people <laughs> underneath you. Yeah. 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 And so he's kind of like hitting on her, but she's kind of, you know, telling that he, knows a bit too much about her because there's again another thing that mirrors in the story he kind of knows that she has the key to the the storage shed mm-hmm. because the rebels broke in and stole some some like grenades and stuff mm-hmm. uh but he noticed that the key was not like the lock was not forced it was unlocked yeah no uh, he's supposed yeah he's supposed to have the only key but he kind of suspects that she has the key mm-hmm. as well like she has a duplicate that she's mm-hmm. using to help the anti-fascist forces um and so at that point uh, mercedes is like okay we gotta go and then she goes to ophelia and ophelia decides to go with her and then yeah. they're running and they're in the forest and then you know it's all beautiful and, and which which kind of makes sense because like ophelia at this point her her is it is it that her faith is shattered in the in the fantasy right like after yeah and then the the font kind of was like you dumb 
yeah dummy you messed up like you can't you failed like you yeah you did the first of all like you 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 fucked up in the with the with the uh with the pale man and then you know you got like i told you that this is this was gonna work and then look what you did so like yeah yeah so like the fantasy is falling apart reality her mom is dead and she's stuck with vidal and she's like i want out i want out yeah because well that's her entire thing that's her entire character is just i want out (laughs) or rather i need out yeah 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 um and so yeah they get caught by uh vidal and his his forces or whatever and they 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 capture them and he's like um yeah so all this bad stuff is happening this is like the the low point of the film right yeah 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 um, but then, so, so then they're gonna, they're gonna torture Mercedes the way they did the brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout the the film, we kind of get this interesting thing that she does. Like she has a small knife yes. that she would always kind of kept on her person. And we saw her like wrap it into her skirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they tie her up. And then uh, again, Vidal with his sort of arrogance, yeah, this other like guy playing around with her. Well, also, like, he, he, he tells this guy, this guy's like, oh, do you want me to help you torture her? He's like, oh, no, she's just a woman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, he has, he's, he's super arrogant and he's, he, he underestimates her. Mm-hmm. So she cuts her way free and she stabs him, like, twice, stabs mm-hmm. him in the back, and stabs gives him, him in little, the chest. Gives him a little Joker uh, yeah. makeover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how I got this? <laughs> scars literally you know how i got this scar yeah i it was was funny seeing that yeah so she rips him open Mm -hmm. um because this is before the dark knight right it was before yeah yeah that's funny it'd be funny if she if he like said this story oh right totally (laughs) there's a lot of people have these theories that he was like that that the Joker in that film was uh, basically a soldier in Iraq. I don't know if you've heard like those no. those theories. God, I hate that shit. I I understand it though, because again, we were just talking about the movies made five yeah. to ten years after nine eleven. That would have made a lot of sense because they were trying to make everything. Everything is like a soldier. Yeah, uh, a messed up soldier. The P- PTSD. Or... Yeah. The, the... yeah. Jesus Christ. No, I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. hear that theory. Yeah, that's a it's a very common theory. Anyway, so. Uh, so yeah, she she rips him open, gives him the Joker face, mm-hmm. uh, and she runs away, um, and then meets up with the. Uh, she gets freed by the later on. She gets freed by the the anti-fascist forces because some of the other soldiers kind of come after her. But then the anti-fascist uh, the, they, the rebels, yeah, yeah, the rebels they come and they they kill a whole bunch of the 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 fascist guys, and so they're they they now have a overwhelming force coming uh, mm-hmm. to to supplant the the people who are running the village. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, so Ophelia is like, basically gets one last, she gets thing caught up in the, in this shit again, in now. the fantasy stuff again. And so, so what she got, I, I, so what she got from the pale man was like this dagger, this really long dagger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fawn has the dagger and this is right. This is like great, kind of weird foreshadowing right he's like got the daggers like oh there's one last thing that you can do yep. and I'll, you have yep. to do exactly what i say do exactly what i say mm-hmm. and then uh we'll be able to like make everything right again and you're yeah. just like dude this is this is not gonna end well for her right <laughs> i just, it just I, doesn't I, feel like it's gonna end well <laughs> i love it because when he because when he gives the the final directive which is just you know like just bring me your baby brother and we'll be fine uh it makes you wonder like 
oh, now he's ready to let her back in. You know, because before he was he was closed off. He was like, oh, you know what? You didn't listen to my rules. You you fucking deal with it. And now that there's a you know there's like a there's a baby at play. He's just like, oh, we're good. You know what? I've decided to give you a second chance. <laughs> and yeah. like that's not sus at all. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, she she does it. She like grabs her baby brother, and she goes running to the labyrinth, and Vidal is like stalking after her. And this came like a little bit after he we saw the scene where he like wired his mouth shut. He's, he's yeah, exactly. He 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 like DIY'd his own Joker uh, smile back together. He like stitches it. To, he he like sews it back up basically. Yeah, and this sort of has to do with his vanity. Uh, he's yeah. very vain about his appearance. Like, there's a lot of times where he's like redoing his hair. He's looking at like, Mary's shaving or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's very vain, and so to 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 do that to him really kind of takes something from him. Yeah, uh, and this is the part where Guillermo kind of um, he says like this is where he transforms into this relentless sort of wolf character who's like yeah. going to go after Ophelia. And cannot be stopped. Yeah. And so this he is sees, when like all all of his disguise has been kind of taken away from him, like step by step. Yeah, the veneer, this the whole veneer, yeah, good looking veneer. No, he's just a beast of mm-hmm. a person. So mm-hmm. he's like chasing after her while this battle's going on, and so he's he's singularly focused on basically killing her, right? Despite the fact that all of his forces are losing, so he follows her. Well, killing her and getting the his child back. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so he follows her and he's like trying to find them. They go into the the thing and he kind of gets lost because like the there's a dead end in the labyrinth, but then it opens for her so that she can go into where the fawn is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he gets lost for a little bit. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know. He doesn't know all the. Well, yeah. OK, we can talk about it once we get to the very end. But like basically, you know, he he's never navigated. He doesn't know all the shortcuts or whatever. And she probably does because she spent so much time there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or uh, yeah, like whatever the story, right? Like, like whatever the magic <laughs> what, you what, choose to believe in. Yeah, however you want to <laughs> interpret this story. Yeah, yeah. Is it real or is it mm-hmm. is it a fantasy or is it just like the fantasy just in her head? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so she gets gets to the middle and then the fawn's there and he again, like I said at the beginning, now he looks really young. Yeah, uh, and he's like, oh great, you brought him and now. Uh, we're going to take his blood and we're going to make everything right. Yeah. <laughs> we need but, the blood of the innocent. But the blood of the innocent. But to be fair, he puts it really nicely. You know, he's just like, just a little pinprick, you know, like you don't got to hurt him too about too much. We just have to get some blood of the innocent. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there, there's an even darker story where she's like, believes him. And then he like, yeah, you, you can't, you can't really make like, you could make a story, but I don't think you can ever make a movie where like, you know, they do some really fucked up, like, slit the kid's throat or something, where, yeah. he, where he lies well, and they, like, he I'm literally sure you, kills the kid. I'm sure you could, but the rest of the movie would have had to been different, you know, be different, I, I think. <laughs> I don't think you could just spring that on us at the end and for no reason, you know? Well, the movie's been pretty brutal. It's, it's been, been pretty, pretty brutal, brutal, but 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 you were talking about, like, every, every character's got a thing, and Ophelia's thing is just, like, not harming the innocent. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this is this is made for her to, her choice to to prove herself really right yeah like in a, um, in a sense what i'm trying to say is like the tenant thing of like what is you know will be is like it, it is like she was always going to make that choice kind of yeah, thing. She, yeah 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 and and so yeah she's like no i'm not going to give you my brother yeah and he's like okay and then as vidal is like walking up on him it's like mm-hmm. okay if you want to do that you mm-hmm. go ahead with it mm-hmm. uh and then you know he finds finds her takes the child away shoots her and then just walks away 
yeah. and she falls down and she's dying sort of the way we saw her at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he walks out of the labyrinth and then all of the, the rebels have completely taken over. They've won the battle. Uh, and then he has his final moment where he gives the child to Mercedes and he's like, Oh, tell, tell the child my name. And they're like, no, tell me, tell, no tell him, tell him exactly the time that I yeah. died. Yeah, all this yeah. other stuff. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. Shoot him in the head. She, yeah, the child's not even going to know your name. Yeah. Which is just the ultimate blow to his character, yeah. right? Because his entire thing is about legacy and, again, the vanity and everything. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great little send-off for our villain. Yeah. It's a really great scene, too, because, like, they do this thing where, like, his eye, like, gets all messed up when he gets shot in the face. It's really yeah. Yeah, well, it's really because, well again, it's, it's, it's those realistic uh, gunshot wounds where it's not just, you know, like the Cronenberg, the head explodes or whatever. It's just the it's really just that's what people dying looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, Mercedes, they go and they find, uh, Ophelia dying. And then we see in this last moment there. So, so yeah. the dying with the dying scene real quick, I've seen this movie five times now, five or six times. I get it. The first couple times I just cried every single time at the ending, but I still get emotional. There's a, there's a recurring theme of that lullaby that, yeah. uh, her mother sings to her and that it's part of the score. And so in the in the scene at the very end, you know, when Ophelia is dying or dead or whatever, and Mercedes is humming that theme, I get choked up every single time I see this movie. Even uh, even yesterday when I was going through it, the 4K version, I was just like, I've 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 seen this. I, I know what happens, and I just like it's just so cinematic. I don't know. It's just like such a movie thing. The way that it's, um, I don't know. I just like that scene a lot. It just it brings a lot of emotion out of me. It's great, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a. I mean, it's a sort sad of, thing. It's a sad thing when you yeah. consider all of the all of the different aspects of the story. You know that this child was pretty much always doomed, right? Uh, to to live in this time period right now with with these people. Like she she was never going to have a, a good way out. But like you know, her her life is cut short, and then you could say it's for the better because we get the little epilogue scene. Yeah, so uh, she returns to the underground realm where it's her dad. We see her dad, and we see her mom there, and we see the fawn there, and she's like, you know, she's she's returned, and she's the princess again. And uh, once she finally accepts that she's going back to be the princess there, she dies in the real world, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, I have to. Yeah. I have to give a. I have to give a special shout out to the king. Uh, uh, El Rey, you know, the, the, yeah. the king of the underworld, uh, her father in, in the fairy tale, uh, played for the very last time in a Guillermo del Toro film by uh, Federico Lupi, who was his, he was basically his guy. And so that's why I separate like all of the, the Spanish speaking films from the rest of the Hollywood stuff that he's made, because these films in particular have like, like a twice as strong of like a signature style to them and this guy was in all of those movies he played the lead in chronos and he also played one of the main characters in devil's backbone so he was sick at the time because i believe he died in 2009 or whatever but uh, they they like green screened him and they put him in as the king uh at the very end of the movie uh, and he was like an argent he's like a argentinian actor i believe um and which was really well known but he was like the guy that like del toro kept going back to i believe he put him in uh, mimic he had like a scene for him in there. Like he just, they just love working together. And uh, so I, I just thought it was really cool that like, you know, his, his friend was, was not doing well. So he just, he made him the king in the, in the fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. Right. Um, yeah. 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 And then we get this like final epilogue of like, 
oh, and then she, you know, reigned for, for, for the rest of her life and she was really just and good. And mm-hmm. whenever you see, you can see her sign uh, in on our realm and it's like, right. if it's like flower bloom and you see an insect, that, that means it's her. You have nowhere to look kind of a yeah, thing. It's a nowhere yeah. to look, yeah. And that's the film, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I guess, so you want to talk about, okay, like, was this, did this happen or did it not? Right? I guess that's sort of the... Well, the debate, there's, as it were, it, it opens it opens itself up to that specifically because at the very end, when um, Vidal comes in in the when she's talking to the fawn and she's telling mm-hmm. him, "No, I'm not going to give you my brother." She's talking to the fawn, and then the fawn's like, "Okay." And then the very next <laughs> yeah. shot, I believe, is yes. Vidal coming up, and then from his side, he's he, there's no fawn there. Yes. So then, so then you can say the fawn either vanished, you know, in that split second. Or, you know, or and even the, the little shortcut that she takes in the in the mm-hmm. in the labyrinth is just like either this, you know, sh- is she seeing this stuff or is this stuff really that hidden from the detached adults, you know, the the cold, nasty adult world, you know, and only the, the child like because that's just a fairy tale thing. Only the child like wonder is able to manifest these things. You can you can look at it that way um, or you can look at it in like a really cold uh kind of realistic way or cynical way like i like to look at things which is to say that uh, you know it's a nice fairy tale that this girl's built up in her head for herself <laughs> what do you think well i i'm sort of by so i probably the first time i saw it i would probably would have said that it probably was not happening that would be sort of my feeling mm-hmm. um that would probably be my first takeaway of the film yeah yeah um, I think, I think that if you want to go the most objective route, it, the, the reading of it is that they do happen. I think, I think that's the objective reading of it based upon any, any interpretation that the people closest to the source material would say about the film, I think, mm-hmm. is that, is that they do happen, but well, they do happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. The fancy I get stuff. That does happen yeah. and that she does really go on into this fantasy realm mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. And that the only reason like the, he does a lot of stuff to show that the two worlds are bleeding into each other. At first they're very separate tracked, right? Yeah. So yes. there's the real world. It looks very cold. It looks very kind of bleak. It's not very colorful. Mm-hmm. And then the fantasy world, it's like very bright, very different. And then the two bleed into each other. Um, and so I think that's one way of understand, understanding why the two are, don't really interact at first and i think it's just like they all these adults they're too busy in their adult world they they they've put up these safeguards that don't allow them to understand these things Mm -hmm. and it's only only children can view and understand it because they don't have our inhibitions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think that would be the the reading that guillermo would 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 have for the film i think i think because i've seen again i remember just uh either reading maybe like some stuff that was written about it, or it could have been one of the many, many, many things that was on the criterion Blu-ray. I don't remember exactly, but I believe his, in his, like the way that he would like people to read this is to kind of make up their own minds. But I believe in his mind, it happens. It's real because she believes it's real. Basically. (laughs) I think that's kind of his whole point is that these things, these fantastical things, if they're real to you and they help you get through a thing, then they're real. And they happen. You know, and so I don't know if there's like an objective 
I mean, obviously within the fairy tale, then yes, it's a fairy tale and it, it all happens that way. But I think like the kind of uh, the moral of it is is that I think. Yeah, I feel I feel like for for him, obviously, probably the biggest thing is to get the moral takeaway right exactly, of the story. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if if the moral takeaway is enhanced by you thinking that it's just in her head, or it's enhanced by the fact Exa- that exactly it's however how, whatever yeah. helps you. Like for for me personally, it 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 hits twice as hard. If I, the way that I see it is that none of the fairy tale stuff happens at all in the real world or in any world. There is no fairy tale world. So for me, it hits like that's why I get extra sad at that ending because yeah. it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to have believed that and to know that you're going into the you know you're gonna go with be with the king and be with your dad and everything. Uh, it's such a nice thought, even though knowing that it's really just you know Mercedes is crying over your dead body kind yeah. of thing. Like that, that works, that works for me, but for other people, you know, you believe in the fairy tale and that, you know, that kind of hits you in that way. So yeah, for sure. And it is good that it works either way. I believe it. I I just think it works both ways and it's so interesting. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, it definitely does work both ways. And it, it, you know, that's kind of a testament to the film. It's like, it really is a fairy tale ending in the yeah. kind of classical grim sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. He takes the fairy tales that are um, like fairy tales have always been grim and weird yeah. and fucked up. You just don't remember because when you read them as a kid, you're just like, ah, Rumpelstiltskin. That's you know what a crazy old man. It's like no, he fucking eats children. Yeah, eats kids. <laughs> well, we we Disney fighter, right? Like we're like Cinderella and um, all this yeah. other stuff. Like like like. Americans are like fed the the cutie the cute version and the fun version, when in reality all these things their basis it in the European mythology is messed mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. messed up, and a lot of like the ring around the posy stuff, which is about the plague, like all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, we have no context of what it was actually about. Like it's actually horrific. It's funny because for me, I didn't grow up with Disney movies. I don't think I've seen a single Disney movie until I was like maybe ten or eleven years old, and I saw I think Lion, The Lion King, and Hercules or something. Like I didn't grow up with that in, in that kind of Disney consumer culture thing. It was there, but I just didn't have access to it. I don't think it, where I grew up. So when I came over here and I saw how just like just overly like it's just. Uh, uh, high fructose corn syrup just being shot into everybody's brains, you know. Uh, I thought it was a little weird because I remember reading those fairy tales when I was a kid and I read like, um, after that, I read like the Victor Hugo books like Miserable and stuff like that, which were really big in Europe. And I was just like, yeah, man, kids are fucking like, kids don't, yeah. like it's not, it's not like a pleasant world, you know, to be a child in, in the adult world. Or so, even like like the um, the Charles Dickens stuff, right? Sure, yeah. Like his stuff is just all about like poverty, 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 children <laughs> yeah. in poverty, children working and slaving. It's like yep. it's bad. Yep. It's really bad, dude. It's really, really bad. It's really and here's bad. some funny jokes, but it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean you can you can make it either way, but I do think I think you're right. Like we went a little too far in the direction of the Disney, uh, you know, uh, I think, as a, as like a culture as a society <laughs> in america i'm telling yeah. you it, it is it is ubiquitous it is just shoved down your throat mm-hmm. you're probably a vast majority of kids have seen like cinderella sleeping beauty uh snow white all this basically propaganda right this yeah. is propaganda that they, they feed into your head well it be, and, they, they 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 turned it into propaganda at some point yeah because they well, remember it's, like it's marketing propaganda for them because they create this idea about the world Mm-hmm. But the end, but for Disney, the end goal for them is to sell you more stuff, yep. right? Yep. Um, and uh, what's funny is on the other side, like now what they're doing is they're the other side of the propaganda is 
your the Marvel stuff. They feed yeah. that into your head, and so it's like, yeah, you're Spider Man, you're Spider Man by the story. Right. right. <laughs> now it's not like Marvel wasn't doing that before, but now that Disney's got full control of it, they're well, Marvel, Marvel, like when they were in the comic book, they could never really do what Disney does with their marketing, like oh no thing. Yeah, you That's know, superpower. Yeah, they, they they had to niche market all these things. They did niche marketing where they said, okay, our our demographic, our psychographic person is a – basically, at first, it was like a white teenage boy who's like 14 to 19 or something. That was mm-hmm. basically who they were going for. Now, with when the Disney-fied version of that psychographic, it's, it's like a 12-year-old to a 35-year-old mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Who, in every demographic mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the – so it's not just a racial thing. Now it's across the board yeah. and it's everyone oh, yeah. on the planet. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. And so now they're, that's, that's their new, the new fairy tale they're feeding into people's brain. But yeah. for Disney, it's just to sell stuff. That's all mm-hmm. they care about. Mm-hmm. Sell toys, sell movies, sell Disney plus. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if, if Pan's Labyrinth, if you don't change anything about the movie, let's say in, in this world, uh, but it, it is like a, it's a not necessarily a Disney movie. Like who who would put this out? Like if it was marketed in that way, if there were toys of the fawn and the fucking pale man everywhere. You can you can Disneyfy this movie. You could, right? You can Disneyfy this movie, yeah. which is scary. I it's mean things are th- things are different, but like I can just imagine so first off it's a musical, right? It's a it's a freaking musical. Uh yeah. <laughs> So like the pale man scene is like it's like that, but these dudes singing and stuff, and he like puts his hands up and he's like singing this weird song, and then you know they but but they but <laughs> I regret I regret I'm so sorry that I brought you down this path I'm so sorry <laughs> so yeah I, at the end she won't die she probably doesn't die something they do something that's something they else like something I don't know yeah, yeah. she she, uh, she probably just disappears right so she's like no I'm not yeah, gonna sure. let him go yeah and then she, the little thing the doorway down yeah. opens then, to the underground then, she goes yeah. down and he the baby's just left there by himself yeah and Vidal's just like what just happened and then yeah. the rebels come up behind him and they're like ah yeah. we got you <laughs> yeah and then there's like a post there's that post scene where it's like she's there and it's happy and blah 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 yeah yeah, yeah. um and then the, the baby cries because yeah her, and the fawn comes sister. in and he's like ah that was the test it was whether or not you would spill the blood of an innocent oh i get it (laughs) yeah and then there's a song at the end and then you know yeah whatever but yeah you could you could disney fight it it's it's disgusting it's disgusting delete it delete it yeah which it's it's funny though because i wanted to talk a little bit about like you could disney fight it and we talked about how strong it works as a fairy tale on its own because it is an original work it borrows heavily from other things but it is you know it's like any kind of screenplay it's just like a collage of like the director's experiences and influences and stuff Uh, well in this case the director but um i just think it's i wanted to just kind of make a point of how like much of an expert he is specifically at like a story structure and like the fairy tale structure specifically like i said like this is just a guy that reads a lot of fucking books and so at this point like to be able to craft a story that holds up as well as any other fairy tale that we've read, you know, that from throughout the last five, six hundred, seven hundred years, you know, of human existence, I think is amazing. And it's extra amazing that you could do that in the 2000s, <laughs> even yeah. where everything's been done before. Everything's already been done. And he's he was able to craft this kind of new, not completely unique, but like a new fairy tale with new sets of characters that follows exactly the same beats 
as some of the old fairy tales and it works on kind of every level i think is really really remarkable and it just shows that it's someone that really really understands narrative and this is one of those things when i was going through his movies and going through his materials where i was just like that's why he is guillermo del toro and i am not you know that's why he is who he is and other filmmakers are not because it does take like a very very uh a, a mind for this stuff to really understand story uh, that well you know a lot of some other directors are really good. They're really good uh, craftsmen. Like we talked about Christopher Nolan. Like he's just, he's an architect who will build you the thing and he'll get you to point A to point B. But uh, Del Toro is just the guy who really likes to work the story, you know, over and over. Totally. And he, on the commentary track, he talked about how much he, he worked on it a lot. Like the mm-hmm. beginning he opened, he, he, he had a, a long process of figuring out what the opening of the film should be and mm-hmm. creating that juxtaposition of her, her of the reverse of her dying at the beginning. And then that, that sort of fairy tale about her, that sort mm-hmm. of uh, prescripts to the postscript of her dying. And then mm-hmm. sort of going back into the, the, the fantasy world and being the princess again. Um, that stuff. Yeah. That stuff just like really works so well. Like yeah. the, the way that the film opens and it just brings you into this story from the jump. Uh, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of time, right? A lot of, exactly, exactly. And it takes, a, again, to, you just got to have a mind for it because I feel like you could assign the, the basic beats of the story to a screenwriter or something and you could get the movie, but it just wouldn't be as, as layered and as detailed or, or, you know, and, and again, because he's also directing it, like he's, it just feels really kind of handcrafted. It just feels like you're reading a story, honestly, like you're reading a book or something. Yeah. Uh, also the really way cool. that they use like the, the wipes. There's mm. all these scenes like uh, sort of in the middle of the film and later on where like there's a wipe from one scene to the next. And they deliberately did that to make it feel kind of storyish, storybookish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really That's cool. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Um, very cool. <laughs> very cool movie. Yeah. So I think, yeah, overall, we love this film. This film's amazing. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the best. Uh, this is a good year for film. This came out in 2006, right? 2006, yeah. Same yeah. year as Lady in the Water, by the way. You want to talk about fairy tales? <laughs> yeah, I actually like that movie. I think that movie I don't, is, I don't is defensible. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is, you, have to, you have to forgive the fact that he is... So that, that film is the, the most... Power. That film is the most um, Shyamalan film. That film is pure Shyamalan. There's no film more Shyamalan than that film. <laughs> yeah, there's no filter. And when you, when you see that, when you see who he is... I think a lot of people rightfully are like, dude, you're an arrogant, crazy dude. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, like he, he thinks uh, like, like so much of himself. Yeah. He's like Kanye West. Him, he's just like, yeah, I which, am the best filmmaker ever. <laughs> which makes him great as a director because yeah. you don't want a director who to do is like, I don't know. Well, I'm okay. For whatever. <laughs> right. Like, like, like I can like, do this, 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 and this. And then I have some weaknesses here. It's like, no, I am the fucking master of suspense. <laughs> This guy, yeah, and this guy, and he's like, he he holds grudges, like, oh, you don't like mm-hmm. my films? Well, I'm going to create an archetype of a character who I'm going to kill. Yeah. In this, I'm going to kill you, have my yeah. antagonist kill you mm-hmm. in this movie so that I can get, so, and it's just a pleasure himself, right? Right, yeah. Like, no, it, it serves no purpose <laughs> in the story or anything. It serves no purpose in the story other yeah. than the, the gratification of himself seeing the avatar of his enemy being yeah, killed exactly by exactly. his antagonist yeah uh he he casts himself as the most important writer of the 21st century in mm-hmm. his own film mm-hmm. yeah the arrogance level is off the charts but if you, when you get past that it's like it's very like he's so good at these sweet 
very charming stories about people changing and mm-hmm, coming into mm-hmm. their own and understanding who they are mm-hmm. in these moments. I just think about I, I watched the rewatched the village recently. Nice. And the village, like William Hurt does an unbelievable job oh, yeah. in that film. I love that movie so much. Like it's there's a point, so underrated in my opinion. There's a point in that film where like they send uh Bryce Dallas Howard Howard off on her mission. Yeah. And they're like they have this moment where they're like, is this gonna destroy what we've built? was this even worth it? And they're re-questioning everything. And you kind of like get this moment where you understand like these people, it wasn't easy for them to do what they did. And they did it because their life was really just messed up. And the Mm. trauma was so deep that they felt like they had to just leave human civilization and start over. Um, And they were like, basically sending her off was like saying, is this, does this, was this right? It's almost like they put it into the hands of fate, having this blind girl run off Mm-hmm. But she has no idea about the world around her. There's something out there trying to kill her. And if if fate has it, it within itself, she'll come back and save right. this person. Exactly. And it's kind of in, in line with the way that they were operating under the fantasy anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fantastical. And like, that's, that's what makes him good. That's, that's what he's good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but people get caught up in like the the the, the plot twists. They and get stuff. caught up in the plot twists, and and that's and it's not entirely his fault. It's a lot of you know, it's a it's a business. It's a lot of marketing. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot of like from the guy that killed Bruce Willis. Uh, you know, like there's a lot of that that gets tied into it. But because but that's what happens when you take a, an auteur or like just a, specifically a writer director that is really good at one like Guillermo del Toro for example it's remarkable in del Toro's case that he's able to this is the stuff that he wants to do this is the stuff that was on his head and on his mind uh literary shit <laughs> and he ends up making Pacific Rim right it's yeah. all, it's remarkable that he's able to do both because he's at the same time as he's excited by fairy tales he's also really excited by anime so that just happens to yeah. be a thing. <laughs> Yeah, they lucked out on that. But like, you know, uh, Shyamalan is like you can't really pigeonhole him in the in the within the studio system. I mean, you can get him to make like After Earth and try to make it like a a vehicle for Will Smith. It's just like weird. It's just weird when they take someone who has who would do really great in the indie circuit. Like, imagine if fucking Wes Anderson was doing you know 150 million dollar movies. Like, it doesn't really. And that's they why I'm pretty. Sure, but you could you could argue Avatar: The Last Airbender has parts that are pretty, but that's like a worthless piece of shit movie. Yeah, it's a worthless so, piece of shit. But that's because they gave him eighty million dollars or however much money to make. That, that, that's just not his wheelhouse, you know, kind of a thing. He's it's interesting because like he um he really got his name because he's a really good writer, and so he would yeah. write on spec stuff. Like they would mm-hmm. have him write, like for instance, just randomly he wrote uh, Stuart Little the movie. Oh he yes, I, yeah, yeah, I'm reading that. Yeah, he wrote that. He's written some other stuff. Like he's a good writer. Like if you tell him, okay, here's the here's what I need you to write. Here's mm-hmm. the the stuff. He'll create a good character based sort of story around whatever the 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 thing is that you're trying mm-hmm. to do. Um, and that comes out. That's what kind of comes out because he always like you can tell he always is thinking in terms of character and like how characters kind of move and change in the story. So like I just think it would split. Split is just like the story of this girl who mm-hmm. um has a really dark mess of past and then he throws in this antagonist into it that is a split personality. Mm-hmm. Uh and they they meet in this axis where the thing about this the the antagonist is that it's looking for people who are who who think they're perfect but they're not. Mm-hmm. And then 
her weakness becomes her shield that protects her from being her armed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like his thing. It's like it's always how do how do these things, these character flaws play out to right. make someone right. put into the perfect situation where their flaw is their strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just weird when they get caught up in the Hollywood machine, you know. Like I remember um all of the marketing for the happening was just like M. Night Shyamalan's R-rated movie, it fucking twists everywhere. It's like the most it's like what's happening? I don't know, the happening, you know. It's just like they got so caught up in the media marketing and everything that they just he does work a lot better on a on a smaller budget when you just give him kind of you let him just do his yeah, thing. Yeah, he's he's a guy. I think he's a guy you got to rein in. I, I watched the happening again oh, recently. <laughs> that movie is that movie is so much worse than I remember it. That movie is, is god awful. I, I haven't and, seen it since like two thousand nine. What's funny too is it, it's actually like a good film to watch for like um like if I was gonna make a list of films that are pertinent to like the pandemic like like the COVID mm, pandemic yeah, that sort yeah, of yeah. that's a perfect film like it gives it's a, you that vibe yeah because it's literally like the the plants it, it exert this thing that makes people commit suicide and so everyone has to social distance yeah and so the whole movie is basically people socially distancing like that's it's when too many people get together the the plants and the trees cause people to kill themselves so it's and, and so they literally just have to go off and be by themselves and they go the most rural random places they can um but the film is just terrible it's terrible the plot is just, terrible the just weird. terrible but that's the thing is it's like that that's more of a concept that's more of an idea right the plants are killing people versus you know uh signs or something where it's just like it's really aliens yes but really it's about this fucking the joaquin phoenix character right like will he learn how to or sorry it's about the the pastor obviously just like it's about his faith right so it's you always have to tie it back to something you know like the village is the same it's just like the faith and the fantasy they created type of thing but when you when you give them full reign and you're just like you know, make a movie that has a lot of like a big concept or like a lot of twists, like After Earth. It's just like, what if Will Smith, but in the future and no one else? Like, it doesn't really work. <laughs> he, yeah, he he really needs to be random. I don't even think I don't even think that stuff was totally his fault. Like the After Earth, I think that that was like well, a, a paycheck movie, and he just did it. Yeah, and it was a disaster because the whole movie was. Like those, those are the ones you got to say no. Well, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a paycheck movie that he did. But like, look how irreparably it harmed his career for like ten years because he still put his name on it. He still wrote the damn thing. So it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should. But like, I understand. Again, you get caught up in the machine, and I think Del Toro has, has done a good job of kind of navigating that, saying saying yes and no to certain things. He he's had a lot of heartbreak because he didn't get to make like Mountains of Madness, you know, a Lovecraft movie. Like he didn't get to do some of his passion projects, some of his more literary stuff. Uh, he didn't get to make another Hellboy, you know. Like he's he yeah. had a lot of things uh, that he had to kind of just accept that he's never gonna make. I, uh, I saw something recently. He like he he posted on Twitter. I think it was a list of 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 films where he had completed the script and done like uh, storyboarding and everything that mm. he didn't. So like for instance, he was supposed to do the Hobbit, right? The Hobbit right. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he even got credit for the screenplay for a bunch of them. I think he did. Yeah. And basically, none of those happened. Yeah, he was supposed to do Halo. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to do Hellboy three. That was another mm-hmm. thing that was supposed to be like a huge movie. They were like, nope, we're not going to give you money for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Van Helsing movie. Um, the Haunted Mansion do a remake. Mm-hmm. 
um, Frankenstein. Oh yeah, they they wanted him to do a DC movie, like do Justice League Dark. Justice League, yeah, yeah. And that got killed. So he's he's, he's got a ton of stuff that just fell through. A ton yeah. of stuff. Yeah, which is crazy. And I'm I'm really like it was really cathartic for me to see that after because after Hellboy died, you know. He got to. He made Pacific Rim, which was kind of like his redemption. But like, even in terms of the big budget shit. But then, even then, like Pacific Rim didn't make a lot of money. So it just like it was so cathartic for me. Uh, after all, and then he, you know, he got involved with the Hobbit, and like none of that shit came to pass. So it was so nice for him, to, to, for me to see him make like a twenty million dollar movie, like Shape of Water, that is so like paintbrush Del Toro style. Uh, and and again, all the acclaim that it did—that was really cathartic for me because it was just like sometimes you just you just rein it in and just go back to your roots. Kind of, it, it feels that the tone and the scale of that movie feels very much in line to Penn's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone and Kronos, as opposed to like them trying to get him to be like the next big thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, if the Hollywood thing could be a trap, right? <laughs> like you hey, get, for a lot of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. You can get sucked in. And then it's like, I mean, how many years did this guy spend on stuff that he never think, did? Right. I think he spent probably as much time conceptualizing and developing and writing and storyboarding things than he actually did not making these movies. Yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sure it's like a 50, 50 split, but that's just the, you know, that's just the way the it crumbles sometimes. Yeah, and like you know, especially when it comes to something like doing the Hobbit, like the Hobbit's got to feel. Christ. Oh, and there's so much like source material, not only in the book because the book is not that you know dense, but like if you're gonna fuck around in Middle Earth, then you've got all that stuff to deal with. You got a huge amount, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but but yeah, and at the same time, it's like you kind of know that, like they've got to know that Peter Jackson was gonna direct those movies. It just had to feel like it was gonna happen. Yeah, right. right. I don't know. And it just feels like, okay, why did I get into this if I knew he was going to do it anyway? And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. it's a little frustrating. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, this this is this is one of those movies that came out exactly as it should. <laughs> it should, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, coming up, he's got this other, some other films. Uh, I forget what it was called. It was like Something Alley, like Nightmare Alley is a film yeah, that's yeah. coming out. And it's got a good cast from what I saw, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, supposedly he's going to do his own take on Pinocchio. So don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't give me hope. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. That, that, could you imagine if they, he did a rated R Pinocchio like this movie? Uh, that's what I'm hoping it'll be. <laughs> that's what I'm know, really I hoping. I don't, I don't it'll know be. if it'll be rated R, but like if he no. did, uh, does it need to be rated R? Does it need to well, be? In my mind, you everything. Could, you could push the boundary. Up. I think you could push the boundary, but I don't think you need to like have. I like what what real brutality and violence. Okay, fair. And goreishness. Uh, you don't have to. No, but well, you know how the MPAA works. They, they rated uh, the King's Speech R for language. Like, uh, well, they, they they have these very strange rules about like fucks and shits. So like, you get you get a quota. No, I, I understand. I know how that works, but I'm just saying, like, if they like uh, the Conjuring is another example where they couldn't give us they they didn't have a descriptor for why they gave it an R. They just told him it needs to be an R because it it was too fucking scary for us. 
basically. Mm -hmm. So there are things that like there, there Mm -hmm. may be some visual stuff. There's like maybe too grotesque or, or maybe it brings up something subconsciously that the MPAA might be like, Ooh, I don't know. That seems like an R. So I'm hoping that it doesn't get too sanded down by that. kind of. Yeah, I do too. I think I feel like a lot of the time, cause I remember there was some discussions back in the day. uh, This was like the mid two thousands. And it was like, I, I forget what it was. It was the like the Shia LaBeouf remake of uh, Rear Window. Um, the MPA oh, supposedly, okay. yeah. yeah, the MPA supposedly gave that an R and then Steven Spielberg just walked in and told him it's not an R. Mm-hmm. They basically changed the rating. It's really like arbitrary so, sometimes. It, yeah, I feel like it is arbitrary. I feel like sometimes if you have the right person in the room with them, they'll be swayed. Yeah, like I'm super down for PG-13 Pinocchio that is as fucked up yeah. as what the MPAA thinks an R Pinocchio looks like. Like, yeah, I just yeah. don't want it to come out and be like super, super glossy. You know, who's who's a, is it? OK, is it um, is a production company <laughs> Disney on this thing? Because then we're fucked. Yeah, then we would be fucked. Um, do you want to check? I'm checking right now. <laughs> OK. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a it's a it's a Netflix thing. Okay, if it's a Netflix thing, it's then it Net- could be it's a Netflix thing. Yeah, it could be TVMA. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! It sucks that I'll have to watch it at half bit rate, and it'll not look as good as yeah. fucking the Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Oh, Man, the bit rate—they're gonna throttle it down so bad. It's like, <laughs> oh, and I guess we could we could talk about that briefly at the end um, about the the different transfers of Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, there's there's three. Yeah, there's three ways you can watch this movie in the States. There's the the WB Blu-ray that came out in 2007. There's a Criterion Blu-ray that came out in 2018, I think. Uh, 2017, one of those. And then there's the 4K UHD version that WB put out like a year ago or whatever. I've seen all of them. And you know what's funny is as much as I like the added clarity of the 4K one, I still think the Criterion Blu-ray is just a little preferable. Uh, they did something. They went back. Uh, they went to both Guillermo's, uh, Navarro, the, the cinematographer, and Del Toro, and they did a, like a new color, uh, color grading pass on it. And it's just there's just something about it that I feel like the Criterion Blu-ray is pops more than mm-hmm. the other two. The other two feel more like they're just transfers, like film transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 4K one obviously is gorgeous. Uh, and it's it's really, but it's not like, I don't know, it just doesn't pop in the same way that the Criterion <laughs> yeah. one does. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, Criterion, they really like, they really go above and beyond. They really beyond. obsess over that stuff. The only stuff, the only thing that I could I could say about the Criterion one is that there's just not enough bitrate on the disc. So like there are mm-hmm. some things in the like super, super dark scenes that like there's some things that like get crunched a little bit. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, I'd say that's that's the way to go for this one. Yeah, if you if you can you know if you can manage it, otherwise just fucking rent it on Amazon or whatever. And this this has got a lot of good special features too. On oh. I feel like a lot of his films have great special features. They like do. again, talking about Blade Two, uh, there's just took, so much stuff. Right, it just took me so goddamn long to get through his filmography. I would watch one movie and then spend the rest of the week digging through the archives. Yes, yeah. yeah, 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 and and you know. Yeah, check that stuff out. Uh, listen mm-hmm. to the commentary track. Uh, he's got Very a lot of entertaining. Always, he's he's such an interesting, yeah, entertaining uh, guy to listen to. Yeah, yeah, he talked about how much he hates cows and and horses uh, <laughs> on the commentary track. Said he hates them, hates working with horses, called mm-hmm. them mother motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that one of the horses tried to stomp some guy's pelvis out, almost killed him. <laughs> one of the actors. Uh, yeah, movies. And, yeah, and he said, you know, God forbid, if I ever do a, if I ever do a a, a Western movie, you'll know that I'm really sad. And <laughs> I'm having to deal with horses. Yeah, that's funny. 
So maybe he'll do, do like the first Western where there's like no horses, right? Like I'm down. I'm down. Everybody just rides uh, frogs. Yeah. Or, or they just like, they just walk. They don't even have a horse. It's like, oh, the horses are all dead in town. Oh, so walk. like the happening, but for horses. <laughs> well, he would have some fa- like like what? Uh, yeah, what would be his spin on it? It'd be some fantasy. It would be you oh, know he you, yeah. know you know he'd be perfect for there's a there's a character there's a DC character I forget the name of it. Oh yeah, Jonah Hex. They, yeah, Jonah Hex. Oh if they, yeah. They did, a, they did a disaster. Oh my god, oh, they yeah. did a disastrous movie with yep. uh with what's his name Josh Brolin yep. and um, Megan Fox. Megan Fox. Disaster. Yep. Disastrous movie. One of but he the... would be great for for Jonah Hex actually. Absolutely, I forgot about that. Uh, Jonah Hex is one of the movies I have. There's there's not many. There's like maybe ten movies I've ever seen in my life that are just I can't watch them. Like I can't finish them. I cannot watch these movies. I just can't. Like it 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 uh, it, it makes me crawl out of my skin. I need to I need to run away. Jonah Hex is one of those movies I couldn't finish. I couldn't watch it. Um, Wrath of the Titans, I believe, was another one. Uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, like there's a specific subset yeah. of these hyper polished studio shit fests that I just jump out of my skin. I cannot watch them. And uh, you reminded me of Jonah Hex. That was one of them. Yeah, the best part of Jonah Hex, I believe, uh, what's his name is in it. Um, oh, man, I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, man, I, I totally forget the guy who played Magneto in the new versions of the movies. Fastbender? Yeah, Fastbender. I believe Fastbender is in that movie for a very brief. Wow. He is amazing. Yeah, I believe Fastbender is in it. That's he is funny. amazing. Like just <laughs> a crazy he plays this crazy Irish guy. Like like some Irish guy you brought over and he's totally nuts and will kill people with like daggers and knives. He's unbelievable. He's That's in it for so like funny. He's in it for like five minutes. He's the best part of that movie. Not even cool. close. Not cool. even close. That's funny. Uh, not worth watching watch the movie for. Minutes. Hell no. Yeah, if you watch that, watch the fight. He is so crazy. <laughs> oh my God, he's amazing. He's amazing in that movie. Um, That's hilarious. But yeah. Remember when, uh, remember when John Carter showed up in X-Men Origins Wolverine to play Gambit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no good. <laughs> no good. No yeah. good. But you know, I mean, the X-Men, the X-Men stuff is just very bit or miss. Uh, you know, Wolverine. They got the right actor yeah. from the jump, and he he totally was iconic in the role. And they got um, the right actor, and then it took him. Eventually, they they paired him up with a, a good enough Hollywood director to to make that work. What's funny too is he made he made the he also made uh, the one where he went to Japan, which is like kind of okay. Yeah, yeah. well, it's that kind was, of okay until you watch the unrated version. Then it's like really okay. Okay, I haven't seen that. It's, it's oh, it's really really okay. It's like the R rated version. They added in a ton of blood and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they let him really do his thing, and he made a great fucking movie in Logan, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I feel like they 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 got the right uh, Professor X and and Magneto both times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they they strapped themselves with J Law, and she just she she booked out on that. Like she got too big for it. Like immediately, she was like, "It's no, funny. It's great. It's fun." J Law is going to be another. Um, she's going to be another Adrian Brody. I feel like. I mean, maybe not. It's not true because she's a woman and she's always going to be like doing fucking like perfume ads or whatever. But like J Law is peaked way too way too young. I think Pe- peaked way too early because I don't know how many more big budget movies she's got in her before the industry's just sick of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel I feel the same way. I saw speaking of which, I, I saw this really great. I just came up in my feed on 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 Reddit. Someone like speaking of like how J Law just like hated the character. Like it was showing what they had to do to do the practical effects for the Rebe- Rebecca Romaine version mm, of the character. Oh Jesus Christ! That yeah. 
it's, there's like a 45 minute documentary on that and it's on yeah. YouTube. It's like, wow. I remember that. I remember, yeah. Reading about how just like torturous that was. Yeah. yeah. And it, but look, it, 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 it has an effect. It, it makes us feel differently about seeing a person who looks like that. as mm-hmm. not some fake CGI. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. If, yeah. you know, if, if the artists are, are for it. Yeah. She just, actors. J-Law was not down for it. Just not no. going to do J- it. Well, J-Law, J-Law has an Oscar, man. Like, what was she like a fucking, why am I playing around with these, like in this kids, you know, with these kids toys, I can go out there and play with the big boys if they'll have me. Right. And it looks like yeah. they're not having her right now. Who's, who's, who's the guy that she works with a lot. There's a guy, remember the one, um, I think, I think this was the one where uh, David or Russell. David or Russell. She's like, yeah, I want to be in a David or Russell film. <laughs> yeah. Right, she's just like. <laughs> yeah. She did one too many of those. And then, yeah, that's it. Because yeah. they're doing another movie, too. I think they're doing another movie together. Oh, are they? I believe so. Yeah. That's funny. Uh-huh. That's funny. Yeah. I, she's like, this other crap, like, like these, these, these big studio things. I want to do, like, you know, yeah. this other stuff. Right. right like, right. like whoever. I don't know who directed the, the Sparrow movie, the Red Sparrow. Like, it was, I think, was that Francis Lawrence? I think it was one of the it Hunger Games been, yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Francis Lawrence. Yeah, another, another guy. Another one of her homies. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you got to have homies in Hollywood. That's how it works. It, it's so true. I it mean, is that's so true. That is how it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if your homies happen to be making, uh, you know, one hundred fifty dollar million dollar movies, then hey, good for you. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah. That's how you make it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and as long yeah, as you yeah. don't like, you don't do anything uncouth. You don't break anyone's. Break mm-hmm. the bank. Well, mm-hmm. you can probably break the bank as long as you have the. But if you do it like three times, then you no matter what you get exiled. You're, no matter what, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's but really it, brutal. Like going through, uh, like watching the. I, I tend to really stick. Uh, like recently, I've just been watching a lot of '90s and 2000s movies. Like it's really fascinating to just see the kind of the churning of like not even just actors, like the directors that were working. Mm-hmm. You know, like Rob Cohen fucking starts fa- the Fast and the Furious franchise. Like he starts that shit. And then Triple X, and then his career ends at uh, the Mummy Three because he made the Mummy Three. You know, like it's just it's just how that works. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know, thinking of like like so like the Twilight movie, I I, I was I saw something about it was just Christian uh, Hardwick who directed the first movie, and she was talking about her process of like how she prepares for directing of films, and she has like all these charts and stuff, and it's very meticulous like the type of pre-production work she does mm-hmm. uh, and they they fucking kicked her ass off of that immediately yeah <laughs> like yeah. that like like she 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 makes that movie work yeah, right just, right makes the intimate like the actual and it was funny hearing her talk about it like she plotted out the entire relationship arc of the film oh, of where the two of them wow. are at every moment and it's like she had like a map and she'd be like okay so this at this point in the film you guys have never even touched so think of that in terms of your sexual tension with each other. And at this point, because you're shooting out of order, right? So yeah, it kind of makes yeah. sense that you have to you be very aware. Yeah. Yeah. And they fucking kicked her ass off and they got some, I forget who, but it was like a Hollywood guy, right? It was a Hollywood guy. Budget, yeah. Doubled the budget, kicked her off, got someone else on. And it's like, you got to know people 
in order to be the guy who gets put on right and these big projects it, yeah and it kind of ties to what we were talking about like you can have like you don't you can't be too artiste in hollywood if you want to remain to play at that level you know you got to be a little detached that's why you know del toro is really kind of went back and forth there because he's just uh he can really only do the things that he's really passionate about he doesn't care like i believe blade 2 was like he got he got to put a lot of himself into it but ultimately it was a miserable experience for him because mm. it was very 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 like just hollywood you know mimic was another one where it's like they pretended to let him do his thing and tell his story and then yeah. they completely ripped it away from him yeah um, that was so. the weinstein one right that was the Weinstein one, yeah. Yeah, they they shafted him. And so that was hard. the one. That was the one where James Cameron punched Harvey Weinstein in the face at the Oscars. Over. <laughs> Have you heard that story? It was the no. Oscars. It was the '98 wow. Oscars, and Titanic was up for everything. And um, James Cameron knew about what they did to Del Toro over Mimic, and uh, <laughs> they got into an altercation, I believe, somehow. I, I, I this is a story you can look it up. I'm not making this shit up. I don't remember the details, but ultimately it ends with James Cameron punching Harvey Weinstein in the face, and uh, it has to do with mimic. <laughs> yeah, what a guy! James what a guy! What a guy! Right? I mean, what if you're if guy. you're the guy at that year's Oscars <laughs> with Titanic, you can punch a producer in the face. <laughs> well, not only that, but like, I mean, everyone knows that these guys are scum, right? Like true. the Weinstein's. Like true. everyone That's knew. True. Yeah. That they were the scum of the earth, or or, or Harvey or whatever in, in particular. Harvey, he was yeah. scum of the earth, but they have so much power that they're untouchable. Yeah. Um, and so that was a moment where like someone who was equally powerful equally could touch untouchable. Him back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like watching two made guys in the mafia like yes. fight it out. <laughs> well, it's like it's like that scene in Goodfellas where they're like like he comes in and like, Hey, where's your fucking shine box? And he's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well I'll wait for one to leave and I'm gonna fucking stomp you out. And they're like these two guys who are not made and they had to pay for it, but they fucking stomped them out, stabbed them in the back exactly. of the trunk. Buried yep. his ass. They buried his ass twice, by the way. Yep. Yeah, they did. <laughs> hey, remember that thing up with the thing we did upstate? Well, we got to go get the body. <laughs> I love it. On top of all of the movies I've been watching, I've, I'm still watching The Sopranos, and I'm constantly, constantly just blown away at like how the mafia shit like works. It's so fun. Well, yeah. fun, fun as a as a viewer. Yeah, as a, seeing it from the outside, not yeah. like engaging Not, with it anymore no, jesus christ that's that's like the most miserable lifestyle you could well, probably it's, it's be basically in. over uh i know like in the 90s they basically destroyed the mob yeah, pretty much. Which, and now it's just some guys who work with unions or whatever uh-huh uh-huh you know it's not and, it's not really a thing anymore that's why the the tiktok stars with their with their streamer houses they're going to bring it back <laughs> oh my god all right guys yeah so that'll be our review for today for uh pan's labyrinth um it's so absolutely yeah if if yeah. you're a if you're a halloween person and you watch oh yeah this, watch this spooky movies this is yeah, it man watch, this is watch this, this movie yeah watch especially this movie. if you haven't seen it mm-hmm. um so yeah so so speaking of great films so next week we're gonna do it we're gonna get started Oh shit! Got to get your list ready, man. Our top one hundred. We're gonna get started. We're gonna do uh, number one hundred to number like ninety-one. So we're gonna do our first the 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 bottom ten films, and we're gonna go ten by ten until we're done. It's this list is not gonna make any sense, man. There's gonna be movies that are forgotten that are moved and shuffled yeah. around, but I'm excited to do it regardless. Well, I, I love that. Like like yeah. you know, let's just let's just throw stuff out there. You know, exactly. I want to see exactly. new stuff, different stuff. 
There's going to be stuff um, that I remember when we get to like the 30s that I would have put it like number 88. And I'm just like, you know, it's fucking, it's in the 30s. Yeah, now. whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So that's the thing to look forward to for the rest of uh, this this coming month. And um, I think the other thing too, the next big film, we're going to review Make whenever it comes out. I don't know. Yes. Oh, geez. Said, that would but, be sweet. But, but that's going to be a really exciting one to talk about. Yeah. Very, a lot. Very interesting. Uh, for, oh, December 4th, it says. December 4th. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, I can't wait. Uh, the buzz has been really good on it, too. Great. So, yeah. Thanks a lot, everybody. Um, glad you got a chance to listen to us again today. And see you guys again in the future. See ya.